Hi, this is Joanne, and welcome to Sit in the Attendee's Chair. Got to really, I know this is going to hit home for a lot of people personally, along with professionally. Uh, today, the topic we're going to talk about, and I'm hoping I don't say the wrong things, but I'm hoping to also ask the questions that people are afraid to ask, uh, is going to be on ADHD and how we can do a better job in meetings and events to make them more inclusive. We're beginning to talk a lot about neuroinclusivity along with other DEI issues um, and concepts. So that's what we're going to talk about. So in the meantime, Steve's here. You want to say hi, Steve? Steve the Great says hi. Says hi. Uh, Kel, Kelly? Want to say hi? <laughs> there we go. So the, the team that's usually here is here. And I'm going to first introduce to you our uh, main guest and expert, and then I'll explain who else is with us today. And that is Brendan. Brendan, why don't you tell people about yourself and what my you do? Is, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, my name is Brendan Mahan. I'm the host of the ADHD Essentials podcast. I'm an ADHD coach, consultant, and speaker person. Um, I sit on the board for the organizing. I sit on the organizing committee for the International Conference on ADHD. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big deal in ADHD circles. And then I'm also just a dad at home. So that's my deal. Uh, oh, and and for the, anyone who's like, why did you get to talk about ADHD? I have it for one thing. So I'm a guy living the ADHD lifestyle and looking through ADHD eyes every day since I was born. Um, I also have two kids who have some ADHD stuff going on a little bit. One of them in particular, uh, they're identical twins. And I have a master's degree in education. I've got a master's degree in counseling. I've worked as a teacher and a principal and a special education teacher and a mental health clinician. So I've done a lot of different things in the field of education and mental health dealing with and navigating ADHD and neurodiversity in general. Well, and I think what's really interesting, um, it's a long story. Brendan and I have actually known each other uh, a number of years, and he was at a point of deciding whether to move forward with this, and I'm so glad and happy and proud that he did, um, and he's really rocking it. I know how many people he's helping, but, you know, just even when I first get to know, got to know him, you know, trying to put myself sitting through the eyes of, of someone with ADHD and even talking about raising children with ADHD, you know, with him having ADHD and, um, you know, being married and just all the different things that go on in your life it, uh, and how it affects adults along with kids. So, I think today we're all going to get a lot of knowledge that, again, I believe will probably serve us in our personal and professional life. Um, and I, I just think that's really important. I was going somewhere else with it and then totally yeah, lost I, it. <laughs> I am a success outlier as a person with ADHD in a lot of ways. Um, my wife and I are still married after 18 years. That's a, it's a long marriage for folks with ADHD. Divorce is pretty heavy in the ADHD circles. And uh, I also have two master's degrees, and there are not a lot of people with ADHD who have one advanced degree, let alone two of them. So um, I'm a success in that way, and also running a successful business and becoming a person of stature in my industry, all of that. I'm kind of unique in some, in some ways with ADHD. And a lot of it is because I became an expert in ADHD and was able to navigate my own ADHD because I understood the disorder so well. 
And I think that's that's really important. And I, I just remember one of the things I was going to say also is what I have found is every time in the meetings and events industry, and it's probably true with anything, when we work to include a group of people, however you want to identify them, any kinds of we raise the level of our meetings and events for everyone. And not just because it sounds like, oh, look how diverse we are and inclusive we are and everything. It's just some of the adjustments and changes we may need to make to make things work better, end up working better for everyone, has been my observation having been around for a very long time. So I'm very curious to hear some of that. So let's introduce our other two people. as, as some of you may know, I've started inviting uh, other people on the podcast, so one, you don't have to listen to me as much, but also to represent the meetings and events community from other points of view. So let's talk to Meg first. Meg, why don't you explain who you are? Hi, Meg Caldwell. Um, I'm a CMP. I am a sales manager at Beaver Run Resort and Conference Center. Um, I've got about 25 years of experience in all aspects of hospitality, um, but that's where I am now. I've been here for uh, just almost two years. So um, I asked Meg if she would be on it because obviously she can ask questions and, and perceive this through the venue's eyes, uh, through the hotel's eyes, which I think is really important. And yeah, she's one of my CMPs. Um, <laughs> and also here we've got Jamie. Some of you already know Jamie, but go for it, Jamie. Thank you, Joanne. Hello, welcome. Um, Thank you for having me back, I mean. Uh, Jamie Smith here, I'm with Choice Live, National Account Manager, um, and just realized that 11 years on the planner side and come July, it'll be 11 years doing business development and account management from a production standpoint, um, outside production company. So definitely representing a little bit of a wide spectrum, but having that network of all avenues and excited to see how we can elevate and be more inclusive and accommodate in this setting. So thanks for having me. Well, and I think uh, I thought that Jamie's perspective was also really important, just like Meg's from the venues. Um, But, you know, when we think of traditional AV, and I mean, I know early on, many of us were taught, ooh, you're going to do strobe. You got to think about that for people. And, you know, this is taking that way beyond that. So uh, that's who's in the studio. That's who we're talking to. And... um, you know, I guess I'll ask the first question. Brendan, if you were to name the top, I don't know, three things, whatever you want it to be, that people in the meetings and events industry should think about, take into consideration, try to understand about attendees with ADHD, whether they have been diagnosed or not, because sometimes people aren't, especially adults, I've learned. What would you, what would you say the key aspects we need to think about from day one? Can I start with a metaphor? Is that okay? Oh, sure. Hey, anything goes on this. Trust us. I think, I think it'll illuminate some stuff. So um, I want you to pretend that it's, I don't know, the early 80s again. And you're, in a, you're at, a, at a, an event and half of the people there are smoking because you're allowed because it's the early 80s, right? Yep. What do you think the difference would be for a person who has asthma versus a person who doesn't have asthma as it relates to attending that meeting. Excellent point. Right down to you can smell it on the clothes, you can smell it in the elevators. Yeah. Uh, and, and and the person with asthma is going to struggle more, right? Because their lungs are absolutely. weak. Absolutely. And, and they're going to have more trouble with that smoke. 
your person with ADHD, for a lot of the challenges that your meetings have that you already know about, your person with ADHD, odds are they're the ones complaining about that stuff. And if they're not, it's still a thing that is hitting them harder than your neurotypical people. Because we have less cushion for navigating the, the typical challenges of life. So by way of example, I can't tell you how many times I've experienced this in various things I've attended. Oh, it's on the app, but I can't get to the app or the app isn't updating or whatever, right? Like there's a lot of reliance on apps right now. And what's gone away is a printed schedule for the day. That doesn't happen as much. That's a really great fallback. It's a really great thing to just have available to people. And I understand that we're trying to save trees and protect the environment. And I'm not gonna fight against that. But it would be good if at least some information booth, some, there's always those tables that are there to support the attendees. If I can go to that table and get a piece of paper that tells me what's happening today, that would be a huge benefit to me as a person with ADHD because the app doesn't always work and I, I can't always make it work, right? Um, and I've even had young 25 year olds complaining about the drama with the apps, but still needing that support, that little, this is what's happening now, this is what happen happens next, this is what happens later. In particular, folks with ADHD and folks who are affected by anxiety are gonna benefit from that. So that's one that jumps to mind right away is and it's sort of a little specific one around the schedule and the apps, but there's a bigger one hiding inside of that, if you can believe a big thing hides inside a little thing, that is have redundant systems when possible so that you can be flexible, so that you can, can pivot or change strategies if needed, because different people need different things. And if you have a couple of different ways to address whatever's going on at your event, you're gonna be able to support the people who need a different approach. That's, you know, that's, I, I think of a friend of mine, and, and it's not just people of a certain age, and the apps have become an issue because the print is so small. And some of them you cannot zoom in on. They're, you know, they're, they are what they are. And I know I had someone tell me a few years ago, why can't we just have some printed? So if anyone wants them printed, they can go and get it. And that, ties in exactly with what you're saying so it's not yeah. just you know again we have to think about the things you're describing are impacting people with other challenges or situations that we may or may not be thinking of mm -hmm. and and not to like belabor the print versus the app but is there would it would from your perspective would it make sense for like the no before you go having a printable piece that's not so clunky and you know filled up with logos and graphics and images that are going to clog your printer, but maybe offering that up and, and communicating. Yes, we know we have it on the app. Yes, we may or may not have some on site, but here's another resource, right? A third option of allowing you to, to, to access that before you get there. I don't, would that make sense or is that too much to lean on as a, as a potential? Um, I, two, there's two things hiding inside of that. One is, is it useful to have something that someone can print out at home and then bring with them? An ADHD person probably isn't going to print it at home. Makes sense. Right? Like, we're going to need to be there. And also, the thing that you want me to print at home, 
by the time I hop on the flight and get to the event, stuff has changed. Yeah. Like yep. You kind of have to print that thing every morning because it's just going to be different. All of a sudden, everything is moved back 15 minutes or the person who we thought was going to show up for that three o'clock session isn't here. And we were able to replace it with, I don't know, yoga or something, but <laughs> but it's different now. And now their schedule is wrong and it's in a, or this thing moved rooms like that kind of stuff that happens. We want to have a, a fresh up to date thing, which is another reason why I personally am not going to print stuff out because I'm going to go. It's just going to change. Why would I print this out? Um, and. Also, when it comes to any kind of handouts that you're using, I understand the importance of sponsors, but keep those handouts simple. Yeah. All of those like logos and like motivational quotes and stuff, it's just distracting me from the content that I want to get off of this piece of paper. What it's about when people it harder for me Sorry. to process it? I no, apologize. Go ahead. What about uh, you know the people who print out all their PowerPoint slides as their handout. Is that bad or good? I'm not a fan of them, but that's my own thing going. But That depends on the person. Right? Okay. Like I, I can think of a, there's a whole bunch, I have a bunch of thoughts on that too, right? One is I, if I have it, I can use it or not use it. Mm -hmm. So there's the argument about like waste and I'm, I'm not going to debate that at all. Absolutely. Right. That's true. If I can, that might be a thing that like be able to print that out in advance. Those slides probably aren't going to change too much. Or make sure everyone at the hotel knows how they can get something printed so that they can go there and get it printed prior to that session. The other thing is the usefulness of PowerPoint slides as a printed medium to take notes on varies wildly. There's the movement of like all of your PowerPoint slides should have pictures on them and there shouldn't be any text. Like, well, then your slides are useless to me as a thing to have later. And some of that, I think, is intentional, right? Like, because people are worried about their ideas getting stolen and all this stuff, even though they're giving them away for free in a meeting. Um, and I, I understand the, like, people will resonate more and remember what you said more if there's a picture instead of words. Sure, but I'm not going to remember what you said by looking at a picture better than I will if the words are just on the slide when I look at it three months from now, Right. So I'm of two minds, about. I'm sort of of one mind. I'm like, just have words on your slides because the picture stuff is not helpful um, when I look at your slides later on, which I tend to do. So I think it depends on the person presenting and what they're doing with their slides as to whether or not that's helpful. So another kind of handout would be just as helpful, though, that had yeah. the content instead of I've never figured out the value of the mini PowerPoint slides, but that's right. my own and issue with PowerPoint. And some of this is like, I mean, you're swimming in the deep end with a former teacher here, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is this is stuff that not every presenter could do. I can make a worksheet that will get you the high points of my workshop and will not even require you to take many notes. We call them closed notes in education, at least some of us do, where you kind of write a sentence and you leave out the keywords so that people write the keywords. Oh, in the fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fill in the blank stuff. That is a useful strategy, but it's also a sometimes a lot of extra work depending on how dense that presentation is and maybe how last minute that presentation is being created 
or how old that presentation is too. Cause some folks are like doing the same presentation they did 15 years ago and it, they might benefit from making a worksheet of it so that they think about it again, but they're probably not going to be inclined to because the whole reason they're doing the same worksheet workshop 15 years later is because they don't want to put a lot of effort in. Yep. 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 Uh, Jamie or Meg, you were going to ask something. I'm sorry. I think I cut you off. Oh, no, you're good. I, it's it's just all the logistics of trying to accommodate. So like when we were talking about the printed agenda or outline for daily, right? Like you said, mm -hmm. having access mm -hmm. to it daily is giving you that other access to the content in another way, right? So whether it's communicating, hey, here we have this here and refresh it every, every day. So even if you do, you know, I'm thinking from a planner standpoint of, yes, it's more things to do, but it's like we're talking about, it's allowing access to meet the needs of everybody that is all completely different, right? Not everybody with varying ranges of, it is, like you said, it's it's the extremes or it's other people are gonna think of it this way and, and kind of like our, as we label and, and talk about what, however we identify with people or how people identify, not everybody's going to be the exact same. So having these options, I think is great to hear. So that's all I was thinking through. And, and logistically, it doesn't need to be, I'm thinking specifically about the having a piece of paper that is what's happening today. It doesn't have to be brutal, right? because you've already got that schedule. So it's, it's gonna have less information on it. You don't wanna hand someone something that is like a paragraph of what this workshop is about and then a paragraph of the pre presenter's bio and all that nonsense. It should be like, this is what the workshop title is, maybe a sentence about what it is, maybe, probably not. This is the time, this is where you're going, this is who's presenting it, the end, like you don't need much more than that. And if you've got a, a, an outline like that, that's probably been created somewhere anyway, that can be copied and pasted mm -hmm. and something changes, all you have to do is change the thing that changed. It's not a lot of extra work. And a way to make it even easier potentially is, and I don't know how hard or easy this is, it probably depends on the venue. You don't even have to print them out. You can theoretically, wherever people go to get help, just have a printer over there so that the people who are helping them can go, I can print you a new schedule right now and print it out and give it to them and you're done. And now you're not wasting paper, you're not wasting ink. It's just the people who specifically come over for that support can get it. And like I said earlier, people who might wanna print out worksheets or something, maybe they can use that same printer. And that's just another service that your information support table is providing. And if it becomes overwhelming, don't do it again the next time. Like if everyone wants to print their slides at that printer and the line is huge, okay, change the plan. You know, I just had a question because you were saying, you know, put the, put the, you know, the room number, the time, the title, maybe a sentence and everything. What about if there were like large screens? Because we use those a lot more now in traffic areas at meetings and events where you had the day's events, let's say a touch screen. And if someone said, oh, I think I want to go to that workshop. So it's not the whole app. It's just, mm -hmm. here's today's schedule. I walk up, I go, I want to know more about that workshop without going to the app. I touch it and then it tells you about the the uh, presenter and a little more about the topic. Would that be overwhelming or a good thing? Like the I access think, is there, but it's in a I simpler that, way. Yeah, I think that's a good thing, but it doesn't replace the piece of paper. Right, no, no. No, I walk down the hallway and forget what the room number was. Exactly. Right? No, I'm just thinking about what you said about just put a sentence and I'm thinking, well, mm -hmm. they still may want to know a little bit more about it before they wander down the 
the wonderful long hallways yeah. of Las Vegas or something. Yeah. And, you know, so I was wondering if a big screen where they could just today or maybe just even this time block, you know, 10 to 12. These are the presentations. These are the rooms. Push here if you want to know more about it. That's it. Nothing else on the screen, you know. And if we're going to be that cool, right, if we're going to be that cool with technology, Something hotels might want to think about doing is if you have touch screens anyway, which is the only reason we have this option to begin with, and you don't have a map of your hotel with me being able to, I don't know, type in the room that I want to go to, and then it'll like give me a little map of the hotel with mm-hmm. like lines that will show me how to get there, then you're missing a you're missing a great opportunity to support people, and and connected to that, a paper copy of a map of the hotel. I mean, not like where people are staying. That stuff doesn't matter. That's not your job. But like the couple of floors where the event is taking place, a map that's going to share that stuff, I think, is also a great support for for folks who are neurodiverse. And I know Meg's dying to talk, but I have to chime in on this piece, too, just from an AV side of it, because I'm sure so many planners are cringing. Are you kidding me? We can't afford this the the general session video wall or whatever. And don't do it. Exactly. And and digital signage from from even an outside standpoint or within space hotel and whatnot with the the touchscreen side note i'll do a little plug if anybody ever needs to talk about wayfinding and may you may have this as well but uh 22 miles here out of indy and atlanta um i can definitely share a little bit more information about them they can help like what you're talking about brendan right having that wayfinding in your space so that mm-hmm. you know what everything is it's and if it's up to date and it's present that's it's another tool. Okay, I'm done. I'm done rambling. Go, Meg, go. And, and also, the the wayfinding I'm talking about is not the job of the event coordinators. It's the job of the hotel. Exactly. That is 100%. Um, we have digital reader boards that scroll. And it's not a piece of paper you can take with you. It's not touch screen. But we have several of them throughout the conference center so that you can visit it if you want to. And when we have larger groups, and we would do it for a smaller group, um, we just, you know, for a smaller group, we'd probably have to be asked, but we do human wayfinding. No, human beings? (laughs) Yeah, human beings. And we go and we stand in the halls with our name badges on, you know, all over the place, even like towards the the sleeping rooms, because our conference center is separated from that. And we stand there and we tell people how to get, we take them to where they need to go. Um, And so that's a free pretty easy thing and, and most hotels and resorts should be willing to do some sort of human wayfinding if they don't have other um, other tools. Piece of paper is always great. Um, but I just wanted to touch kind of what I'm taking away from what you're saying is that as a, as a higher level look at it, you're basically trying to mi- mitigate the effect of change because change is difficult. It's difficult on everybody, but especially, I, you know, I would imagine kind of really i think the effect i'm trying to mitigate is new i've never been to this hotel before most conferences are not going to the same hotel every year after year after year some do but a lot of them are dancing around the country and that kind of stuff to make it easier for people traveling and that means i don't know i don't i don't know this hotel i don't know this town or city i don't know what i'm doing and i'm here for three days and i i got in last night I may or may not have jet lag. I just woke up. I'm probably running late. Or if I'm not running late, it's because I'm anxious. And so I got up early, right? If, speaking from a neurodiverse perspective. And I don't know what the heck's going on. So it, it's sort of changed, but more it's newness. It's just a lack of familiarity. And how can we make things more familiar? Just jumping back to that little 
imaginary map of the hotel with the touch screen and all that stuff. Another thing that would be useful, I don't imagine it would be that difficult and probably not that expensive, is take a picture of each of your rooms so that when I tap that room, I see the door and I get an idea of what's around it. Admittedly, they're going to look the same because that's usually how hotels work. Um, so they're going to look pretty similar. But at least I know if I'm in the right area or the wrong area based on that picture. That's another idea to to make it more visual and, and accessible. Um, oh, can I jump in right there, though? Yeah, please The do. pictures of the a... door. You know what I'm thinking, though, is for certain audiences and uh, uh, you know that may even be for whatever put something different outside each door a red balloon a yellow whatever a blue over there so if you did do the pictures now they really stand out but i think for me even like walking down these hallways sometimes you know like you said they all look alike think about the big conference centers you know the convention centers in las vegas and everything like that and it's like Oh, no, we actually want 106-A-B-E-F, not 106-C-D-G-H, you know, because how they've broken up the rooms. I think sometimes it would be great to have a, you know, I'm thinking about what you guys are talking about, wayfinding. And, you know, I personally love it when they have things on the floor, like follow the blue line to whatever, follow the green line to, I like it. Um, But even, you know, with your idea, why can't we easily make that door more identifiable by yellow balloon you know whatever i'm sure you get the idea what i'm talking about is the trick there is that can be said verbally you're not going to have pictures of that stuff unless the conference does it Mm -hmm. because because those ideas are temporary right right for a hotel to do that with a permanent picture you're going to have to get different doors or different rugs or like stuff that's much more permanent which different silk plants (laughs) yeah that could work that's probably less and less cost prohibitive um, and while we're while we're on wayfinding, just something I want to throw out real quick that that is there's kind of two things, right? The most hotels having a person who will take you to where you want to go. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. Uh, none of us knew that, so it's not a well-known resource, right? And that matters because it should be. And two, if you are a person who is neurodiverse, you have been doing it wrong your entire life. I know, because I've been doing it wrong for my entire life. I have a model called the wall of awful that is the emotional impact of the repeated failure that comes with ADHD and executive functioning challenges and being neurodiverse. Because I have been doing it wrong for my entire life, and this is not actually true about me, but it would I'm, I know it's true of other folks with ADHD. Um, because I've been doing it wrong my entire life, when I'm trying to get to a specific place like a like a for an event at an event at a conference and i can't figure out where it is the shame and guilt that has been built up in me over the past four decades may very well keep me from asking for help so that's a thing here too like i'm not saying that's not a great resource i'm saying that's not a resource that is going to get utilized as much by your neurodiverse folks unless they have pushed past that like I have or they happen to connect with a specific hotel person and then they see that specific hotel person and like are comfortable like oh it's Timmy I'm gonna go ask Timmy if he can show me where the thing is because I know him because he greeted me when I got here and he's this awesome guy and he helped me find my room when I got here so he helped me find this room now that might happen 
but it especially if it's not if that's not an obvious service that is advertised we neurodiverse folks are unlikely to take anybody up on it because we're going to feel like we're imposing we're going to feel like it's our fault that we don't know where we're going and and all of that guilt and shame will keep us from doing it I wondered if that might have been your response when Meg threw that out there. Um, and I keep, I mean, ever since we started in, in, in even planning for this, I, I keep thinking about how in 2018, so MPI, Meeting Professionals International, the group came here to Indy um, and, and we did our big annual convention. And, you know, the home city, Visit Indy, and everybody that was in the local organizing committee would stand outside and i've seen this done in several different conferences this was kind of like growth on steroids right of with these you know at, at basketball games where you have the tubes and you slam them together and mm-hmm. they make loud noise and i remember uh-huh. like hey i'm the type of person that i enjoyed celebrating that way but you know i mean we knew it that was one of the the responses of that is not for everyone and and i'm sure a huge part of it is with the neurodiverse individuals who are like, whoa, overload, right? This is too much. I mean, the introvert, we all went back to like, oh, if they're extroverted or introverted or like, let me just play beyond that contact, let me, you know, and I'm curious with that and just all elements of a conference and like, like you're talking the shame, the guilt, the, the not wanting to ask those questions or ask for help or be the, the limelight. Does that, keep people from even coming like right like ever again absolutely it would yeah yeah yeah. a a couple of different ways right one is that was overwhelming and hard for me to handle right another thing that's going to happen potentially is some folks might be like if they're new and they don't belong to that community yet which are the ones you want in the ones you want to come in are the ones who are new and don't belong to the community yet that kind of an over-the-top celebration is not going to make my new people feel welcome. It's going to make them feel like they don't belong. It's going to make them feel like these people think they're so great and like they're making such a big deal about themselves. They're but they're not making a big deal about me because they can't because they don't know you yet. So it becomes almost a barrier to entering that community. Does that make sense? Oh, and I think in our industry, that is a huge issue because we do tend to have a lot of very over the top people. Uh, in mm-hmm. every way you can mean it. They can't wait to get on stage. They can't wait to get in the limelight. They want to be on the camera. They want to be making the most noise. They walk on the bus to the next event and, <laughs> you know, everything. And, yeah, it's, it's for someone new, absolutely. I mean, there have been times I've been like, yeah, I'm beginning to think I don't belong here. It's not just my EAG either. It's just it's not how I do stuff, yeah. you know? And and because I do this stuff too, right? Let me let me play with that a little bit, because that's that is a framing thing. That not every speaker is going to be find this useful, but I think more if more will than won't. That whole desire, like I I speak professionally on stages and I love it. I have a podcast with two hundred and forty seven episodes. Like, pay attention to me. Like that's absolutely a part of my world, right? Mm-hmm. But my lens is not pay attention to me. I rare and so what I want people to think about is what if you're not the main character? Mm-hmm. Right? My podcast is not me being the main character. Even when I'm the only one talking, usually it's an interview based show. So usually mm-hmm. I'm interviewing someone and they're the main character. And if, if it's just me talking, 
I'm still not the main character because I look at myself as the supporting character in someone else's life, mm-hmm. in, in my people's life, right? I am the supporting character in my audience's life. When I'm on stage, I'm the supporting character in the audience's life. They're yep. hopefully getting something of benefit from me. It's not about you. It's about them. Right, right. So totally when agree. You're, when you're going up and being really energetic and over the top, you are maybe making yourself the main character. And almost definitely making yourself the main character. And you may or may not know that that's what you're doing. And so I think any, any presenters who are listening to this wonder about that and wonder about how can you go from a main character, if this is what's happening for you, how can you go from being the main character that maybe makes other people feel overwhelmed and less welcome to the supporting character who is going to steal the scene at the moment because they're on stage, but they're doing it in support of welcoming new people to the to the event, bringing the important content that they're bringing to the other people, and then get out of there and go back to being humble and go back to being like the the person who is just happy to be included. Um, I think that's that's a way to help people feel more welcome. When when I go to the ADHD conference, I'm a big, big deal. I got an email from someone yesterday who was afraid to introduce themselves to me at the line for lunch. And I was like, totally introduce yourself next time. Because I just I just want to have yep. people feel welcome in the ADHD circles. So I'm like, cool. I'm not a big deal. I am. But I'm not a big deal. I'm glad to see you and talk to you. And I'll ha- if I have time, I'll hang out with someone for 45 minutes. Right. Like I'll give them as much time as I can. And and that I think that is that's a tone thing that especially your over the top people can help set. And if they're not paying attention to that, what if you're not the main character lens? They're probably going to accidentally become the main character, even if they don't intend to. Well, and I think in our industry, I'm not just talking about speakers. I'm just talking about these are. A, a lot of the people in the meetings and events industry are well. They come out of very interesting backgrounds, but they're they're just that high energy want to be seen. And then we got the others that really like mm-hmm. being in the the back behind the curtains, you know, right. running everything. But it is it's it's a very overwhelming time. It, it's it's interesting to go to those conferences and then go to other conferences and see how differently people act i mean a lot of an industry does drive a lot of the personality of a lot of conferences and meetings because of who's attracted to that industry do you know what i mean yep can i give a little training tip sure for like people to train themselves that this isn't like a person that's training to do this Mm -hmm. it's easier to do if you have kids um go to a summer camp find out the most over the top summer camp that you in your in your area because they're over the top right that's the thing and fi- like talk to the director, whatever you need to do. So you can be there when they're going to welcome kids and be like, yay, we're going to have such a great summer. Oh my mm-hmm. God, it's going to be the best, right? And while you're there, ignore the person who is welcoming everybody to summer camp and being all jazzed. Look at the kids and see w- which ones are overwhelmed and don't like it. And figure out how many of them there are. There's going to be more than you think. And once you find the obvious ones, look for the non-obvious ones. Because it's the same thing when you go to a conference mm-hmm. and they're being over the top. and But you're not going to be able to look at it at the conference because you're the one being over the top. It's your job to welcome people. Mm-hmm. I get that. But read, learn how to read the room. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be over the top, but you got to rein that in 
and you've got to find the people who are not okay with this and then give them a little extra touch. They need you to go individually and give them an engraved invitation to be a part of this community that they're entering or that they've been at forever and don't feel a part of. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, Brendan, when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, one of the things you brought up, and I thought this might be very interesting, uh, especially for Meg, is you were talking about when you walked into the hotel, into the lobby. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Do you remember what you yeah. were telling me? Yeah, I was talking about the ADHD conference that I went to in in Texas back in November. This is not something the hotel can fix, I don't think, because of how it's built. But it has. It's lobby like goes all the way up to the top. Like it's just, it's just a big, big atrium, huge open ceiling atrium. That's the word I wanted. Thank you. And the acoustics are awful. It is sensory overload because it's so echoey and loud, and it's hard to pay attention to what's going on if you've got sensory issues. And I typically don't, but I was still walking around with noise canceling headphones for decent chunks of the po- of the of the conference because. It was, it was just too much. I was more shut down at that conference than I've been at any other conference. And it was because of the nature of the atrium and how loud and echoey it was. Like they, there were no, there was nothing to absorb sound. There wasn't like rugs on the floor or I don't know, tapestries or Mm -hmm. something. There was nothing there to absorb sound. And it was completely overwhelming. Um, And you want to manage that as a, as a hotel, right? Like, because people are going to have a better time at your hotel if if they're not overwhelmed the whole time. And it's going to reduce the overall stress of everybody there. I'm guessing that would be the same as if you walked into um, like a large exhibit hall in a convention center or something, you know, the ones that are traditionally concrete blocks and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've always found expo halls, well, of course, they're very sterile in many ways and, and everything, too. But the noise, you know, the acoustics, and Jamie, I'm guessing you guys run into that producing general sessions in those same cement boxes and trying to get the sound right. But sound in those, I mean, exhibit halls, I can only imagine how bad those are for someone yeah. with... <laughs> it's, in all, all honesty... Um, it's also, it's also horrible. I've had the experience. It's interesting. I've stepped into different shoes. Had a, a blown eardrum since November. Oh. And for for me, like that atrium sounds horrible, absolutely miserable. And um, so it's kind of made me more attuned mm-hmm. to situations like that because I've been in a couple social situations that were just completely. And it's more than just the sound. It's the whole experience of. It making me anxious and making me feel like I'm not included. And, you know, mm-hmm. just because I, I can't be, I can't hear what people are saying. It's overwhelming. Um, so it's interesting that you brought that up because it's made me think a lot more about sensory overload and, you know, it changes where I go Yeah, and, and what I want to do. Watch people on escalators, right? If you've got like, I, I, cause I did this at the hotel, right? People get on escalators and they like turn off, right? Because they don't have to do anything for 12 seconds or whatever. And they're totally overwhelmed, but they, they're going to go where they're going. Cause the escalator is going to bring them there. 
critically, they don't have, they're not surrounded anymore. They don't have to worry about, am I going to get bumped into? Am I going to bump into somebody? Because the, the escalator's got all that stuff covered. Their, their personal space is managed by the escalator while they're going up or down it. And they kind of, like you can see the people who are overwhelmed because their whole demeanor changes. And and when they're getting off, you can watch them kind of key up, right? They're like, okay. And that that is important, right? If you if you're running a hotel, watch the people on your escalators. And if a whole lot of them are turning off when they get on the escalator, it's not a good sign. As opposed to say a mall where that doesn't happen. People get on the mall escalator because malls are not as sensorily overwhelming because there's other stuff happening and there's stores to accept welcome sound and all that stuff. And people just get on the escalator and they're kind of looking around and they're tuned in. They don't turn off like a lot of people, at least in this particular hotel did. So that's a, that's a little clue as to how your atrium is doing. Can you go back to what you were saying about personal space and worrying about being bumped into? And um, I take it that that, is something to be aware of, you know, for yeah. someone. Okay, can you talk more about that? So, I, like, no, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm like, like you said that, and I thought, okay, here's this is going away. I hadn't thought so. So, tell me yeah. what I need to know. I mean, uh, it, people are nuts about personal space to begin with. Well, some yeah. people aren't. More, Pandemic, and, of course, changed are everything. More aware of personal space now since COVID. Right? Yep, and. It, it's not really something that anybody can do anything about, but if you've got, it, well, I, I mean, hotels can based on how they're designed. This is like hotel design. The, the atrium I was in was lots of wide open space with tables and low benches and things, but a decent amount of long, large open space. I was in Texas. Like, of course there was a lot of wide open <laughs> of space. Course. And, and it made for tricky navigating because I'm surrounded by people. And it's hard, like that really wide open space narrows because people go to the edges, right? If I want to talk to somebody, I'm going to go to the edge. Hopefully, not everybody does. There were certainly times when I had to say, excuse me, to get on the escalator because people didn't realize they were in front of it. I don't know how you don't know that, but they didn't. Like that, that space matters. What is your atrium like? What is your lobby like? How wide open is it? And some of them are like the lobby kind of makes sense. You're supposed to walk through the lobby and go somewhere else like that. That's sensible. But at the bar area, which is what the, it was in the atrium, there was a there was an atrium with a bar right next to it. Mm-hmm. And it was just crowded, but not so crowded that you wouldn't go there. It was like like they did it right, I guess. But it made it it made it a stressful experience for a lot of people. I had conversations about it because at the ADHD conference, we talk about this stuff because that's kind of the point, of course. right? Like it made it tricky to navigate because is there someone behind me? Is it okay for me to stop and talk to you right now? Or am I in someone's way? Like depending on how much people care about whether they're inconveniencing other folks or not, it's going to affect their overall experience. And, and it, I, it's just hotel design, but, but it's stuff to think about. So let me ask you this then, as a meeting planner or the venue, Mm -hmm. what could we do? Okay, so we can't rebuild the atrium or the menu. What can we do? Like I'm thinking, are queues good? Are, you know, for queuing people up in lines? Are, you know, should areas be designated? How could we break this down 
whether it be the lobby or somewhere else, into more manageable pieces and really forever. You know, it's funny you brought up this whole thing of people not being aware of standing because uh, Tracy Bear, who's one of our community too, she just wrote a blog post the other day on how people will stop in the middle of the airport and there's people Mm -hmm. like tearing down behind them you know, running to catch planes and they'll just plant themselves in the middle to take a phone call. And she was talking about how we, most of us do tend to be very unaware about yeah. things like that. It's it's not just ADHD, it's, it's everyone. So can you think of things we could do to make space more manageable? Is that what I'm looking I, for, I guess? I think it's tricky because it's the hotel's job, right? Like, Well, meeting like, planners uh, can redesign a lot of things sure. though. okay. Like, like, let me go with a hotel idea and we'll see if it goes somewhere okay. for meeting planners. If a hotel is conveniently redoing stuff, because this is a redo, mm-hmm. pay attention to how you tile your floors, right? Like mm-hmm. you could have white tiles and gray tiles, and then you could just talk to people when they check in and then randomly have your staff say things like, please don't stand on the white tiles. Those are for people who are walking. That's simple, mm. right? We do it in elementary school. Guys, go talk to elementary schools if you want to figure out how to better <laughs> run your meetings. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. Half of why I'm good at this stuff is because I used to teach. And this is just clear communication that we stop doing when we get to adulthood. Mm-hmm. We just don't communicate with adults the way we communicate with children because we think we're being disrespectful. But we're not. We're confusing people because there's no com- clear communication. Like, COVID is a great example of this. COVID, people did a great job of standing six feet apart because we had stickers on the floor of the supermarket and CVS and the bank that told us where to stand. It was clear communication. And nobody was like, what am I, in kindergarten? I mean, I'm sure some people were, but they're jerks and who cares? Like, that's clear communication. And hotel design, from what I've seen, and I haven't been in all of them, but I've been in some, hotel design is not aimed at thinking about that it's just aimed at like does it look classy and fancy and you can be classy and fancy and still mix up your tile colors and then use it as a as a communication tool um so that's that's one thought that i have that is admittedly not event planning but does that go anywhere useful for the event planners to to think about what to do with that well like i said this is just communication so yes signage maybe that's why i like the floor things Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know why that makes me happy, but when I walk in and sometimes, you know, there'll be, you know, big circles. In fact, when we were in Indy, I think, um, uh, Jamie, there were big circles along the paths, like from the hotel to the convention center. They were, I mean, big, big, like not three feet, but probably at least two feet round. And what they did was they put quotes on them too, like just short, you know, so it was fun because uh, mm-hmm. part of the time I've been places where they changed them every day too. So, you know, but I've seen things done with color coding, with shapes, where it was like stuck to the ground. So, no, you can't rebuild the hotel, but you could make a yellow brick road or whatever Mm -hmm. it is you needed to make. And and the thing is, back to what you're saying about people not paying attention to where they're going, I know when we're at... A lot of our industry events, you know, we're we're so glad to see each other. We haven't seen each other in a year. So you're walking, and this is part of how you get lost, because you're so busy talking to the people that you forget to pay attention to where you're going. But if I've got those things that I'm half watching, it's like, oh, convention center must be this way. Okay, let's go. We can keep talking. So, yeah, I think meeting planners could do a lot of things in terms of breaking down space and, like you said, giving really clear directions 
but make it fun and appropriate. I, I think a, a critical piece here is that we're sort of like playing with the edges of it. And I just want to, I want to shine a light on it. Mm -hmm. What, what meeting planners and event planners want it, want to do when it comes to the physical space of the hotel mm -hmm. and, in terms of what they can affect. And even beyond that is I am at this conference to think about the presentations that I hear mm -hmm. and to think about and have meaningful conversations with my colleagues who I meet. Right. Anything else is a waste of my critical thinking skills. So anything that event planners can do to make the rest of it requires zero thought or maybe like a tiny little bit of thought, but as close to zero as possible, the better that event is going to go because I'm not wasting my critical thinking skills trying to find a room or figure out where I can go to the bathroom or find a bottle of water or something because instead that was really easy with signage, with floor stuff, with whatever. Yep. And now I can use my, my powerful brain because I'm not going to conferences if I don't have a powerful brain in the places where I intend to use them at this conference instead of wasting it navigating. Keeping, hmm. it, simple. Keeping it simple. And like right. you mentioned earlier, going back to the elementary education. Yeah. Treat right? me like I'm in kindergarten. Start with the end in mind and don't make it so complicated. I think mm -hmm. that's a huge piece to it. Make sure there's true value. You know, we talk a lot about return on investment of every meeting and, you know, Brendan, I agree with you. If you're, if you're using any of your valuable brain energy strength, and it even becomes physical strength at that mm -hmm. part, because if you're having to overthink things, you get tired and frustrated right. and all those things too. So, you know, being able to truly relax as much as possible, maybe relax is a little bit too strong of a word, but, it, you know, be able to kind of just flow mm -hmm. when you're not in a session and not like, okay, I'm just going to follow the signs and follow yeah. the balloons or follow whatever it is. I think and that um, that makes a lot of sense for anyone, like, for anyone. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I got sensorily overloaded at the ADHD conference so bad that I walked around in a fugue state for like an hour. Like I just didn't know where to go. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I finally saw someone I recognized and was close with and was like, I'm going right to them. Cause I was just in a, in a stupor. And this is what got me there. I, I was, had to handle the atrium all the time. I had been up late the night before. It was, this was the second day. I had been up wicked late the night before. Cause it was an hour later. And then I had been out, socializing with friends and then i happened to do a podcast every night of the pot of the conference so that kept me up later and then this next day i had to host a panel i was hosting a panel of adhd influencers so big big people in adhd including one of the keynote speakers um and i had a previous conference two of the people on that panel had just been overwhelmed by folks who were excited to see them. They were being treated like celebrities. There were times when they were like grabbed by the backpack and yanked backwards and things like not safe behavior. People with ADHD have impulse control issues and that's a piece of it, right? So I'm trying to make sure I'm gonna ask the right questions so that I'm doing the panel right. And I've never done a panel like that before. I host a podcast, so I know what I'm doing, but I've never done a panel like that before. I'm there 
in person for the first time since COVID hit. So it's the first time in three years that I'm seeing these people. And I, and I missed my friends and everyone on this panel is a friend of mine and I'm glad to be doing it, but I want to take care of them. I want to do it right. And I'm also, I'm, so I'm concerned about safety. I'm concerned about like, am I asking the right questions? I've also met a bunch of new people who my friends on the panel have connected me to who are all amazing. I've got a whole lot of people who want to talk to me because I'm an influencer too. And it's a big deal to meet me at this particular conference. And I'm sensorially overloaded and I'm exhausted from the night before. And I'm missing my kids and hoping everything is going okay at home. Like there's a lot of different things happening in my head. I'm tapping out before the panel happens. And then I do the panel and then I was done. Like I couldn't go to another session or anything. I was just tapped out and eventually like bounced back. But that's not a unique experience for folks. Like I think there's a more people than you would think are handling conferences in that way. And we don't want to be noticed, right? Like I didn't, I wasn't walking around like I was in a, like tapped out. I was just walking around. People are like, oh, there's, there's Brendan going somewhere, right? And and I was a presenter. I was I organized this whole panel, right? Like, I'm not even an attendee. I belong in this group. And I was still overwhelmed for that, I don't know, like three-hour window, four-hour window. So I, I just, the more you can do to make things easy and not, including for your your presenters, to not have to figure stuff out, the better off you are. Having handlers for the speakers is sometimes oh yeah very helpful. Um, you and know, have someone that will kick the other speaker out of the room because that yes. happened to me too. I, another workshop yes. I did, the guy before me wasn't done, and I was supposed to be starting. He happened to be a friend of mine, so I could kick him out. But if I didn't know him, and I didn't really kick him out, I was just like, "Hey, man, like, come on, come on." Yep. And when he found out I was next, he was like, "Oh," and off he went. Right. But you need, there needs to be handlers for the people who are speaking potentially so they at least know where they're going. And also, get that other person out of there. Someone needs to be willing to do that. Yeah, the room monitors. Steve, you want to just say something? You had a thought? Well, I had uh, two thoughts. One, we were talking about elevators and, and, and people riding the elevators. Escalators. Escalators, I'm sorry. Well, that's what I was thinking about. What about when they get on an elevator? Now, during COVID, it was great because they limited it to two or four people or a family. But... That's kind of gone away now, and we've all been in hotels where three out of the four elevators didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about how do they feel when they're on an elevator. And then I had another thought. If you have an off-site with bus transportation. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going. You're not going. Okay. No, why would I do that? That's a whole lot of stress I don't need. Your off-site better be phenomenal if you want me to go. Mm. I would. And if it's phenomenal, it's going to be at the hotel. It's not going to be in an off-site. I would second that. I, I go to a lot of conferences. Jamie, I'm sure, does as well. And that offsite better be pretty fantastic, a sh really shiny penny, or I'm not getting on the bus. Because I'm not, I'm giving up more than the offsite. Yep. Right? I'm giving up a whole lot of brain power trying to make sure that I get to the bus on time. That's its own anxiety-inducing thing, right? Both, especially on the way back, right? Like, I don't want to get stuck at the offsite. And when I get back from the offsite, I'm not doing another panel presentation something workshop after that. There's no way. I'm going to maybe go back to my room. I'm going to maybe be talking to the people that I connected with at the offsite. Like offsites have value, but and especially if if I'm not a veteran of this conference, I'm definitely not going. 
if I'm new to this, like there's no scenario where I'm going unless I am a uniquely extroverted person. If I, if I'm a person who should be working in event planning, then I might go to the offsite cause I have that kind of energy, but otherwise. Mm-mm. Well, and I think sometimes it's not thought out. How long are you going to be on the bus? We right. were in one when, uh, when one of our big conferences was in Toronto and we were stuck in traffic so long on the bus and I was a mess anyway that day. And I, I, I just was falling apart and all I wanted to do was go back to my hotel room. And by the time we got there, the people who were there were in full swing and we ended up being one of the last buses to arrive. And I think we left within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I pretty much walked in, couldn't handle it, turned around i'd lost a friend that day and uh got back on the bus and just went i just get just get me back i need to climb into my Mm -hmm. bed i just i'm a mess and And go ahead like again elementary school ladies and gentlemen elementary school if you go on a field trip to some cool place with your elementary school and a whole bus has not arrived that field trip is not starting they are not going anywhere. All the kids are staying on the bus. Oh, I didn't know that. Every bus shows up. Well, they that's good. Not just like, yeah, let's tour Plymouth Plantation without Mrs. Smith's class. Like it'll well, never happen. Well, that's good. And well, half of Mrs. Jones' class, right? Like it's never going to happen. But sometimes and that's how offsite should work because an offsite is a field trip. You are responsible for the people <coughs> on that bus. Yeah, but sometimes the buses are in a continuous loop yeah, they rolling. don't have that many buses uh to all be present to handle all the people at the same time but yeah and, and and we were on another bus that it's mere hit uh, uh, it's mere hit a uh, lamp post or a street post or something went, went yeah. around the corner yeah the, you know it was like whoa what was that <laughs> but i think you know what you're saying is you know do we make the off-sites i mean i can think of some off-sites that were totally worth it to me and uh, uh, lots of them, and I just kind of was always the one that came. But there's sometimes you're worried about getting stuck out there, and is your energy going to last for you? And I like the thought that a lot of offsites are now becoming within walking distance because you can walk up. Uh, you know, it's being done for sustainability and money reasons, which is fine. You know, and I remember being in St. Louis and walking over to the big, you know, rendezvous or whatever, and it was great. We could walk over. We could and walk out of the convention center in the hotels and walk a few blocks, and there we are. We're good. No buses needed. Can I ask a question about walkable yeah. sites? Are you walking? Is there a scheduled time where everybody walks over as a group, or are you just kind of wandering and hoping people show up? Um, it, it's continuous. Like, you don't have to. It, there's a door open, and it, most people won't. No. Like, here, it, going back to where we started about trying to welcome people. Yep. Right? Like, that's not welcoming. What about because if they're greeted and like in groups to on, walk let over me, together? Let me play. Let me play. Okay. Let me play. If if you've got a, like just show up when you show up, right? Yeah. Now stuff. I mean, it's in the middle of stuff when I get there. Yeah. Right. That's not cool. I don't feel welcome. I don't feel included. Yep. I'm responsible for including myself, which is hard. This is neurotypical people too. This is oh, not yeah. neurodiverse, but it's going to be harder probably for neurodiverse people unless they're like the super like hyperactive, impulsive ADHD person. That, that rotating thing is a terrible strategy for creating connectedness and keeping everybody on the same page and helping everyone have a similar experience. 
on the other hand, and especially the bus stuff, like that's bananas. If you can't get everybody over on the number of buses you can afford, then you either need to make the offsite smaller and limited only to the number of buses you can afford, and people have to register in advance, and that's everybody who's going, or you need to not have an offsite because it doesn't like how do you have an event that is theoretically involving audience connectedness and participation, even if that's just listening, when some people show up a half an hour after the thing is started, mm-hmm. and I which think is that- even if it's only a 15 minute bus ride, which seems reasonable, that's still a half an hour at least, not, not including load yep. time. And, and now they don't know what's going on. Brendan, with your conference, what's the count? Because it's not I know, very high. It's right? not a and huge one. That's the other piece of, like, even thinking MPI, WEC, or all of these conferences that I know. A few thousand. Upwards of five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's too much for, right? You're not. And I'm not arguing. But yeah. you've got to, you, if you're not planning for it, right? Like, yeah. rotating doesn't make sense to me. Like, right. the bus is going to go back and pick people up and go come and then go and then go back and pick people up. That doesn't make sense to me. But if the bus is going to arrive 15 minutes before the next sessions begin, yeah. cool. Right. Because now I'm getting there when things start. I'm not getting there in the middle of stuff. If I get there in the middle of stuff, I'm having a very different experience with your conference. And you're not going to know because I'm going to feel like I wasn't included, feel like I didn't belong and then just not go again. And you're not going to hear from me because I don't feel like I belong. So I don't and feel like I should complain about it because I'm not part of the community. Maslow's and that hierarchy. makes sense. And, and the planner is going to see it when the numbers are not what they thought would happen right there. They're, and and pandemic has changed all of that for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Right. So Well, the- and, you know, building on that, Jamie, one of the notes I just wrote down, uh, when Brendan and I were talking last week to about this, he brought up, and I don't know why I didn't connect these two, but he was saying that, ADHD and other people who are neurodiverse, you know, anxiety is the key, key mm-hmm. thing. Except I look, and I mean, everything we pick up talks about how anxiety went off the charts in the past three years. And, mm-hmm. you know, the other day I read there's going to be as many meetings, but fewer people are going to be attending those meetings. And I think that's part of it is people are like, I don't, you know, and for those of you, who, all three of you have seen my sit in the attendees chair thing and i talk about that you know under the safety i don't want to fly i don't want to you know uh, i mean just all those things and you know for the first time maybe in my life in the past couple of years i dealt with what i think of as anxiety like this horrible feeling and having no idea where it was coming from and what was causing it as opposed to stress which i could identify that's what's causing me stress but it was just this overwhelming feeling of anxiousness and i can only imagine how people like i said the one time you know i was going through some stuff that particular day that was horrible and my anxiety was off the charts i don't even know how i held it together but i think so many people as we go back and they're i'm guessing anxiety shows up in different ways in different people like we probably You know, and when I see someone do something or say something, what I've tried to train myself to do is say, not in a nasty way, why would they behave like that? But, huh, what would make them say or do that? And try to put myself in their shoes and go, what could be going on in their life right now that's making them act like that or or say that? And it's, 
you know, I think a lot of the time it's anxiety. You know, there are people who will laugh their way through anxiety. There are people who will be nasty. There are people who will be physical. I don't know. You probably know way more than I do on this, Brendan. How deep do you want me to go? <laughs> well, like, how could we recognize? I mean, anxiety, we're yeah. talking about people not wanting to be around people, maybe going into quieter or calmer places. But what? how else could anxiety show up that we may not think, oh, that's anxiety? Let me, let me start by saying everything I've shared with you guys are all anxiety management strategies for you to do for your attendees. Mm-hmm. Every single thing I've said is coming from a place of reducing overall anxiety for your attendees. For anyone. For anyone. Right? Yep. Because your, your neurodiverse folks are your canaries in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that analogy. Faster. They're going to just get hit harder and faster. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're making the experience better for your... ADHD folks, autistic folks, um, sensory processing challenged folks, dyslexic folks, then you're making it easier for everybody. Um, So starting there, in terms of what anxiety might look like, the obvious stuff is fight, flight, and freeze, right? If I'm anxious, I might be argumentative. I might be angry. That's fight, right? Mm -hmm. I might just go hide. That's flight. And I might just not be super tuned in. I might be quiet, sitting there, not really doing much. That's freeze. But there's others too, right? There's flocking. This is like when we're not at fight, flight, and freeze. This is like a little bit below there. I don't know how deep you want me to go on this. Um, There's flocking, which is where I just, I need to be with people. Like I'm just trying, I want to feel safety in numbers kind of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. There's fawning, where I just, I'm like, and that's, this is usually when someone specific is making me anxious and I'm going to be like, I'm going to cater to them. I'm going to compliment them. I'm going to try to make them happy so that I don't need to feel anxious because they're calmed, right? I'm going to manage their anxiety for them. Oh, so, so you have less anxiety. anxiety. hit my anxiety. Got Does it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's also fibbing. I'm just going to lie about stuff. I'm just going to make things up because I'm, that's right. Like, do you need any help? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Why'd you ask? Like, why do you, yeah, why, no, and that person is not telling you the truth. <laughs> but it's, what do you do with that, right? Like, you don't even know them, potentially. You might help them anyway with what you think they might need, right? Okay, cool, well, there's a this place and a that place and a this place. Um, and anxiety affects how we process information, mm-hmm. right? When we are not anxious, we have full use of our prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that does careful, analytical, cognitive, intellectual thinking, right? Problem solving, aware of how time works, able to organize things and, and, and um, decide priorities of stuff and those sorts of things. As we get more anxious, the amygdala takes over and the amygdala only cares about whether you're safe. That's it. Doesn't care about anything else. So our decisions are going to get less good the more anxious we are. And sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't, right? Like I can be kind of anxious at the conference and navigate it. We've all done that. But if it gets too bad, I'm not going to be able to process it. I'm going to go to my room instead of going to the offsite. I'm going to go back on the bus and get in my room. Because that's safe, right? That's me fleeing and then hiding in my room and probably freezing once I get there. So it's important to pay attention to how we're feeling um, and how folks that we know are feeling about this 
conference and where are they anxiety wise? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to, assuming they're not feeling unsafe and running away, right? Like they're still going to get more out of the conference if they can remember what happened. And the yep. less anxious you are, the better you're going to remember stuff. The more anxious you are, the more you're processing things emotionally and the more you're going to remember how this conference made you feel as opposed to what the valuable contributions this pro- conference made to my profession or my personal life or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's why we want to manage people's anxieties by making the place and the sessions and all that stuff as welcoming and calm as possible because anxiety boils down to two things uncertainty and uncomfortableness i'm already uncertain because i haven't been to this conference in this hotel before so i already have some level of uncertainty unless i'm like a 20-year veteran and it finally circled back to a hotel i've been at before (laughs) At least one of those two things is happening. I've either never been to the conference before or I've never been to that hotel before. So there's already some uncertainty. And then we get into where are you with uncomfortableness, right? And that that goes into everything from the sensory, the sensory experience of the atrium, like I've talked about earlier, to what is my experience while I'm sitting in a specific room at a table, right? Like, do I keep stepping on the on the tablecloth because it's too long and that's causing me to like feel uncomfortable. Do I have to twist uncomfortably in my chair in order to see the front because it's a round table and that's making me uncomfortable or some folks that's great. Like that might be the right kind of sensory input for them. And if that's the case, cool. But does anyone at the start of a session and ever say, Hey, just so you, just in case anybody cares, now is the time to say to your table group that you would like to change seats because you would rather be twisted or straight on, right? Like, and and make the offer, right? The people who are twisted that don't like it and would rather sit straight on are probably not going to say anything because they're not going to think anyone's going to want to trade with them. But you might have somebody sitting straight on that's like, do you mind if I twist? Like, I pay better attention when I'm turned around like that. That I half the time that's me. Half the time I would rather be twisting. Don't so, come to my meetings then because we do yeah. crescents, so no one's back. It's too and that's okay too. <laughs> that's okay too. I'll do something else to tune in, right? Yep. Um But that like all of that stuff and, and when I'm at a table, the uncomfortableness about physical, like is the chair comfortable yep. and, and what's up with the tablecloth and am I twisting, that's there. But I'm also uncertain. Because I may or may not know the people at this table. Yep. And maybe I know all the people at this table, but I know a few other people over there or one other person who's looking for a spot and I can't fit them at my table, but I want to. And that's making me feel uncertain, right? Like there's lots of little things that are upping the anxiety as we go to these conferences that conference organizers and planners and hotel managers and builders would be well served to think about and consider. For sure. And I know we run into that on all three of us in our worlds, you know, setting up the correct production and AV and and Meg with like, who designed this hotel? Because there's a place in every hotel that you feel that way about. And me, you know, as a planner too, just trying to figure that all out. Um, Go ahead. And that's like, here's a fun thing, right? I'm I don't know that this has happened, but I imagine that this has happened. You get the crappy room, right? And before neurodiversity became a thing that people cared about, 
like when it was early on and there might still be conferences that are like this it's early on and people are like well we can just put the like the adhd topic that doesn't really fit with anything else that we're doing but we have it there because we're trying to be considerate we can just put that in the crappy room because no one's going to go to it anyway right <laughs> except that the people who are in the crappy room are the exact people who should not be in the crappy room because it's going to affect them more than everybody else with the air walls and the and the right. um the tunnels behind where they're moving equipment mm -hmm. and you know uh things like that um for sure yeah so if any if anybody wants to consult with me on their stuff just let me know yeah <laughs> i was gonna say yeah some hotels probably as they remodel and uh i think a lot of things hey kelly we haven't let you say anything did you want to say anything <laughs> questions or comments or anything um i mean i just it's been very interesting listening. Um, I don't think I have any questions at the moment. Okay. But, um, yeah. Just didn't want to leave you out of the conversation Thank here you. and everything. So, um, uh, Jamie, um, Meg, any specific questions? I mean, I have the feeling we could have this conversation for a very long time. We could talk for a long time. Yeah. Come back. <laughs> right do do a, a deeper dive when you get responses joanne of like i want to know more about this yeah do just from an av standpoint is there any red flags we should be considering from a planner you know supplier side of life of what not to do or other than strobe lights <laughs> yeah I, like some of it is is that really cool thing uh maybe it's cool and maybe it's overwhelming so right like a, you want some pyrotech techno um facility yeah right like uh, intros and no that's that's <laughs> terrible I, I went to a professional wrestling event once at a local like arena and every time the pyro went off my anxiety flew through the roof because it's so loud and surprising and I don't know what's coming and I'm like, ah, right? Pyro is a terrible plan. Um, but so too is like, just because your audio can be loud doesn't mean it should be loud. And if you don't have speaker, like, don't be like, don't make it loud, add more speakers. Like have a better speaker setup so it doesn't have to be as loud. And I love that. If you've got really cool, like, especially animations and stuff, there's, I've been to events where they just leave a screen on with like kind of a screensaver, but there's like stuff zooming in and out and wobbly wiggly lines and stuff. And the logo for the conference shows up every now and then. And the logo for the sponsors show up and drift through and all this stuff. And it's just on while I'm supposed to be paying attention to someone talking and doing things. If it's moving turn too that quickly, off. right? Like maybe the subtle is okay, but definitely not the abrupt change and and quick. Yeah, like it uh, subtle, sm slow changes. But even then, you might pull me out, right? Because yeah. I might be like, "Oh, I didn't know that company was here," which I get is the whole point of the thing. But now I don't know what the speaker is saying anymore because the commercial took me out, right? Like. To compartmentalize are, when you use it. Don't use it at the same time you want someone to pay attention to the speaker and the content. So th I, this brings, let me do, I, I'll do an actual ADHD thing because I don't think I've actually done an ADHD thing yet. The ADHD attention is different from neurotypical attention. My wife is neurotypical, I have ADHD. So I'm gonna use her as my stand-in neurotypical person. 
My wife's attention is a lot like a flashlight. She can shine her attention where it needs to be when it needs to be there and then move it to something else if necessary and then move it back. My attention is a lot like a candle. It's just lighting up the whole room and I'm tuned into everything. That's why it looks like I'm so distractible. It's because my blinders suck and I'm constantly trying to tune out the noise so I can pay attention to the signal. And if the noise gets too loud, I'm going to lose the signal. And that's what that screen is doing. It's just too loud. There's too much going on, especially if it's a boring but important speaker, right? Because those exist. So we want to pay attention to what are we doing with the noise and how might that affect people's ability to hear the signal. And we also want to recognize and honor the fact that we now live in a society where the noise matters more than the signal. Because the people who have their logos on that screen are paying you to have their logo on the screen. And the person who is presenting probably isn't even getting paid. They're probably doing it for free, right? Which as a person who presents, I find deeply offensive because the only reason you're having your event is because of me and people like me. And man, does that sit in my craw, but I do it anyway. And that's everybody who presents, I'm sure. But like... That, that affects things, right? Like there's this economic piece that goes into it. The only reason that screen is there to distract me is because someone paid for that screen to be there. And that's part of how the conference works. <laughs> Figure out how to make that screen kinder to your folks with ADHD, right? I would rather have someone walk into a room midway through a presentation, have the presenter stop, have someone walk in and be like, hi, I'm here to talk about Pepsi. You should drink Pepsi because blah, 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 blah. And then they leave and I can go back to my person that I'm supposed to be paying attention to, as opposed to getting pulled out from a screen every four to five minutes because something drifted through or every 10 minutes or whatever, because something drifted through that I was like, oh, that's right. I need to talk to the people at, I don't know, Home Depot because I'm supposed to connect with them. That reminds me that I should go to the, to the exhibit hall and talk to them, but I'll do that later. Or maybe I just get up and leave, right? Like, that's that. I'm here to do the speaker. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Totally making sense. Absolutely. And and I think I'm sure a lot of planners are going to be like, well, now we got to spend more money to do things more appropriate. You know, I mean, from a production standpoint, when we're coming in, we take into account the space, the amount of attendees, what's really necessary, so that it isn't loud and right mm-hmm. in your face in the front people, right? But if there's not funds to help facilitate the right. appropriate technology, that's where you're in a pinch. And so it is a level. And I think if you have the right technicians and freelancers and whoever to help offset that, because they're typically in the back of the room, but that's not going to, they're not in the front. They're not, you know, and I know that who, whomever the, the attendee is in the right seat or trying to place them in, in the appropriate nature of avoiding all of the things it's not always easy. It's not always perfect. And mm-hmm. it totally makes sense. And, you know, the flash and it, you made me, you made me go straight to, um, I, I'm sure all, um, NBA games are the same way, right? Everything has a logo on it because mm-hmm. you could sell it. And so you're like mm-hmm. squirrel, where, where's, what, what am I here to watch? Like it is overwhelming. Yes. It's great for the monies because we have that economic piece of it, like you said, but I think it all goes back to, um, the kiss part of it right keeping mm. it simple and we'll yeah so, yeah or, I, I would rather the if you got to have logos like put them on a sign not on a screen 
You know what I mean? Like just have signs in the in the present presentation rooms or in the hallway or whatever. Getting creative with your sponsorship allocations, I think right. it's something to rethink about, right? Like what's the best way for the the selling piece, but also the obtaining for the attendees to wh- where is best for them to recognize that Pepsi is the sponsor today? Is it better to have mm-hmm. someone come in? That's yeah, and, all the things to consider. And at its most basic, if you've got like a, most presentations are done on a screen, right? So if there's another screen. Competing. Comp- it's not only is it competing, it's of the same priority. It's of the same stature because they're both screens. It's the same. Just one has the information I'm supposed to pay attention to, and one has the information that you really actually want me to pay attention to because you genuinely don't care if I leave this conference having learned something as long as I left having bought something. And that, like, I hate to just be super jaded, but that's a piece of this, right? It's easy to change the the priority of these things and the stature and status of these things by changing how they're presented. If the presentation is on a screen and those logos are on a a poster, a billboard, a, one of those standy things, then I still see your stuff, but it's it's presented differently so that it doesn't feel like as significant. And we all want them on screens because we all know we're drawn to screens and that's a thing. But I'm telling you, go back to elementary school. You're, you will never, I hope, ever see a teacher in a classroom with a screen that's got the lesson on it and another screen doing anything because they know the kids will tune into the other screen and lose track of the lesson. Yep. Joanne, I think you should title this, Go Back to Elementary School. <laughs> <laughs> Hear that, Kelly? Keep that in mind. You know, I was I thinking... mean that as an insult. It's just, no, no, I don't mean it as an insult either. You know, it's a back to basics things. What do we always know? And yes, in many ways we grow up, but in many things we stay the same person and, and things. One thing I did want to share before the pandemic, probably a year or so before, someone told me a story about a large convention and what they had done was they had the big general session room with all the la 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 la, you know, everything we do in a general session. But they had created a second viewing room where people, this was pre-pandemic, it was actually very cool when I think about it, it, it where if you just wanted to be part of it, but from afar, which is pretty ironic, we were making remote virtual learning in the same building, you could go into that room. So you didn't have all the lights in the same way, the sound in the same way, the, you know, they had done it because people didn't want to be ironic. This is so ironic. It's all pre-pandemic too. They didn't want to be in a room with 5,000 people because they didn't feel comfortable or a couple of thousand people. And I've also read about people being able to watch the main stage productions from their sleeping room and then going down and joining the, you know, the breakout sessions. That'd be awesome. I would love that overflow in the hybrid component right the virtual aspect of yeah it. and and so you know if they went into this uh, choice room they're still with people they're not all alone you know so they still can create that community brenda that you were talking about like how do i fit in well here's my people we've all chosen to go to this room these are my people people you know connected to that do you guys have calm spaces at your events is that a thing that's gotten to you guys it's, yet 
Yeah, there are at some, not all. Okay. They're working on it. And so are some venues. I know Q Center out in St. Charles, Illinois, they have been redesigning over the pandemic to include, they had a meditation room, but now they're in, they're doing all these different rooms because they're focusing a lot on mental health. So Yeah, I've, I've got a buddy who runs an event called Comicon mm-hmm. that um, his, his son has autism. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to bring him to a comic book convention and share that with him, but his son couldn't handle it sensorily. Yeah. And so he made his own comic book convention that is sensory appropriate. So he limits the attendance at a time and they're like there's activities and stuff and it's all sensory careful oh neat. And, and he has a separate room for kids who are overwhelmed and need to take a break and he also runs what he calls calm spaces in comic book conventions that are just a room that you can go and take a break in and then go back into the con- comic con itself and i know that i've seen that i went to pax unplugged which is a huge board gaming event uh back in back in november december um november and they had commerce spots. They had a few different kinds, some that were just chill out here, some that were play board games here and be quiet because it's a board gaming mm-hmm. convention. Um, and I know at the ADHD conference, we have a spot that's, it wasn't, this year it wasn't great because it was actually, it was sponsored by a company. So it wound up in the, the oh, I'm losing, I forgot the term, the word. The room where all the people Atrium. are selling their stuff. The, no, the word, the room where exhibit all the hall. Folk, the exhibit hall. Thank you. I was trying to come. I'm like, it starts with an E. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was in the exhibit hall, which is a terrible idea. But at least we had one this time. Um, and it's it's a it's a critically important thing, and and that might be a way to have quiet advertising. Yeah. Right. Like you can put posters and pamphlets and flyers and stuff in there for your various sponsors because kind of what else are you going to do while you're hanging out and chilling out? There's a good chance I'm going to pick something up and look at it while I'm trying to decompress. Maybe not right away, but eventually. Um, so that that's another thing to think about when you're planning these events. It's a way to help people manage their sensory experience. If they need that break, they can go take one. And, and it's actually a selling point to the planner because the whole point of your meeting is to have people there. And like right. I've been in this situation like right after an exhibit hall I'm just done. I'm just, all my energy's gone. I've given it out. And if I had a place closer to, especially in large convention hotels, Mm -hmm. like an Opryland or something like that, if I had a place I could just go decompress, you wouldn't lose me to my room. Mm -hmm. I'm not going all the way back to my room. I've got a place I can sit down and just take a minute. And if I'm a new person, right, or even not a new person, and I go to that decompression room, I might strike up a conversation with someone and then I might have a friend and yep. that might keep me coming back next year and the year after because I want to see my friend and it will certainly get me more engaged this time. So, I mean, I've learned a ton and, you know, one thing I, I will add uh, is also on these, you know, entertainment nights. So, Brendan, at a lot of, I don't know about your conventions, but our conventions, there's usually one, sometimes two or three big party nights. Mm-hmm. One's usually a fundraiser for the organization, opening night, closing night. Well, I remember the first time, this was quite a while ago. This was probably over 15 years ago. So, the big party night fundraiser always was like too much for me and um because everything would be at the top of you know everything and that year they divided it into rooms so over here there was jazz 
over here there was there was different That's type cool. of music and different kind of settings so you could find where you belonged and i love that and i've seen it a couple of more times but i think for a lot of those those nights it would be nice to have areas broken down because everyone is at a different place depending on what their day was their travel day their travel tomorrow type of music they like and it was just you didn't leave because it was like yeah well i'm really not into that music right now so this this works for me so there's so many different ways i think we can think about it and one of the big thing i'm hoping that we showed people is it's not just about people who have adhd it's Everyone, and I don't know anyone who's not at least some anxious going to a conference yeah. convention. Can, I, yeah. can Go I play with that party idea and throw sure. out something else sure. real quick? And, and maybe you're already doing this. I don't know. But it would also be cool to have one, like a newbie thing, right? Like if, you're, if this is your first year at the conference, you're invited to come to this. Yeah, a lot of them do. Working thing. A lot of them do that. Awesome. But another one you might want to think about doing is one that's almost specifically called, I want to feel like I belong. Because now it's not about newbies. It's about people who have been going. Yep. Maybe a newbie, but maybe I've been going for 10 years and I still don't feel like I belong yet. And you're going to have the people who are who are feeling like they're not connected yet, right? Yep. And and you, But you need to be able probably to guarantee that some folks who have been going there forever and are seen as faces of this conference will also be there and prepared to welcome and talk and schmooze and and a lot of them do have connected. like buddy and mentor cool programs buddy and mentor programs yeah, for that reason different than that in my head this is a little more loose okay. than that but yeah well like i mean they have that and they come hang out and they can use it how they want but frequently right. they go to like the first timers or the but no i definitely it's taking what we have and and making it better you know, as we learn things. So anyway, I know, and I know it's getting close to kids getting off the bus soon time. So, um, and we've been on almost an hour and a half. So, uh, but we have people who listen to these for an hour and a half, even if they have to break them up. So I want to thank all of you, Brendan, thank you for coming on and, and shedding so much light. Uh, again, every time I see an email come through for you, please know how proud i am of everything you. you've created um and uh meg and and jamie thanks so much thanks for you know sharing things like meg you know being personally involved in this and everything but also offering that venue point of view and the av point of view and hopefully i spoke relatively well for planners um, but I hope everything, wa everyone walks away with something. And yeah, I think what we will do is based on feedback. So if you're listening to this, please, please give me feedback and we can maybe pick a more specific or a couple of topics and bring Brendan back and, and talk even more about specifics. But thank you so much, all of you. Thank you, Kelly and Steve, for being on today. Really appreciate all of you taking this big chunk of time uh, in, during your day to be with us and um, hopefully help us all think and act differently. So thank you so much. And we're signing off from here. Take care.